Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Abdul Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the cup and not that to three! Hello and welcome to a special edition of It's All Cobblers to Me. We hope you're having a great summer break as we eagerly await news of signings and fixtures ahead of the new season. But in the meantime, we've been busy with making more content for our lovely fan club members who have last week gained access to It's All Nations League to me. Danny is smiling away as I say that. And to Danny's not-so-smiley quiz. Uh, If you want some of that bonus content, then you can go and sign up now at patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me from as little as £2 a month. This week, though, we've got a very special guest... Uh, but first, it's not Danny, but Danny is here. How are you, Danny? You okay? I'm here, yeah. Just slating the quiz, not a good way to win new fan club members, Charles, but <laughs> I thought it was a very smiley quiz. In ter- and I don't think there are any wrong questions this week, this M- month. Maybe even. that's why I was unhappy with it. You, you need it to, you feel like you need it there to, to make you feel comfortable. Yeah. I need something to go wrong that yeah. isn't my no. fault for, for me to feel happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, no, it was fun though. So uh, I enjoyed it uh, tremendously. Thank you for yeah, doing that. Danny. That's good. Uh, and of course, it's all nations to league, uh, nations league to me. I should say. I can't even yeah. say it. It's all your idea. You've been pushing <laughs> me for it for ages and ages and ages. Finally, got your way. 
Finally gone away. Nice little, nice little song in there that I found as well for for a, a young Italian um, little teaser. So if you do want, to, I think you can still get it if you sign up now, can you? You can. Yeah, it will always be there. Whenever you sign up, always be there. Always. So if you ever hear in five years' time, then think, oh, I wonder what happened in the Nations (laughs) League in twenty twenty-two. Five years' time. Oh yeah, that's a start. That'll be a start. (laughs) Um, But there we go. Yeah, good content to listen to over the summer while we while we just kind of wither away the hours waiting for some news. Indeed, uh, refreshing the cobbler's Twitter feed every five minutes. Oh, don't, don't do it to yourself, Danny. Just, uh, what will be will be. Let it what go. Will be, will be. Yeah. That'll do. On to our <laughs> guest then. Uh, please join me in welcoming to It's All Cobblers to Me, the voice of Northampton Town Football Club on the airwaves, BBC Radio Northampton's Mr. Tim Oglethorpe. How are you, Tim? Welcome. I'm um, well, thanks, Charles. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, Danny. Yeah, and you. Very good. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. We've been meaning to do this for quite a while, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll appreciate we thought we'll leave it until the off-season when you're not as busy and um, can maybe reflect a little bit on seasons past as well. I, I, I think probably the best way to start would be just to simply ask, have you recovered from that end of this season that we had for 21-22? It was a bit of a roller coaster towards the end. Yeah, it's it's taking longer than normal to get over because it was so disappointing, wasn't it? That last day at Barrow. Uh, if you'd asked me a few days earlier if the Cobbers were going to win by two clear goals at Barrow, would they get promotion? I'd have said absolutely 100%. And yet they were denied by that, uh, that huge win for Bristol Rovers. And it still annoys me that it happened that way. Um, I don't bear grudges very often, but I do feel quite a high level of animosity towards uh, not so much Scunthorpe United, who had the misfortune to be relegated from the Football League for the first time at the end of last season, but towards their manager, Keith Hill, for playing such an inexperienced side at Bristol Rovers and and uh, capitulating in the way they did. I'm sorry, this interview started off in a very negative way, hasn't it? But, uh, <laughs> I really, I really, really still find it very hard to forgive his selection of so many young players um, because I thought it was disrespectful to the cobblers and the consequences were devastating. Uh, I, I didn't feel too bad immediately after the Barrow game because I thought, well, at least they've got the playoffs and there's a fair chance that with the quality they've got, John Brady's side can, can win the playoffs. But then, of course, they didn't. Uh, and uh, so we're left with a side still stuck in League Two. And that goes back to the events of the last day of the regular season. So to answer your question... Charles, uh, it was hard. It's been hard to get over, more so than any other disappointment that I've seen the Cobblers suffer in my uh, in my time supporting them and, and commentating on it. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of Cobblers fans, me included, have been subjected to um, Bristol Rovers fans being very happy, as of course they will be. We'd be exactly the same had it been the other way around. And I, I suppose there's there's a little bit of animosity, not necessarily in person, towards Bristol Rovers fans, but because of how much it has felt like on social media, seeing them almost rubbing it in our faces is essentially how it's been. So I've been feeling a bit like, oh, I never want to speak to Bristol Rovers fan ever again. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Whereas you've come at it from the other viewpoint, which is the, it's the Scunthorpe United team that caused it as opposed to Bristol Rovers going ahead and and doing an amazing job we have to admit on that final day of the season 
Yeah, they, they Robus and Joey Barton took advantage of the situation. You know, they they saw a they saw an opportunity and they they took it with with both gleeful hands. Um, but they only got the opportunity because Scunthorpe chose to play. To repeat myself, such an inexperienced side. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not Rovers' biggest fans. I'm certainly not Joey Barton's biggest fan. I think some of the comments he made about about the Cobblers last season were regrettable, and he didn't need to make those kind of remarks no. uh, after their win at Sixfields. Uh, so I'm not their biggest fan, but they weren't they weren't the culprit on the last day of the season. That was very much Scunthorpe. Yeah. So what is it that you do to when the season's over? How do you kind of decompress from it, or do you do you do anything in particular, or do you just go, oh, I've got two, maybe three months to be able to just sort of relax and rest those vocal cords? Well, this uh, close season is is even shorter than normal because the, the new season starts at the end of July, and the Cobbers, of course, played in the playoffs, so that extended the season a bit. So it's been it's been shortened by those two things. Um, but what do I do? I, I garden a lot um, when the football finishes. Um, I've got a big garden and I get in there and it's quite therapeutic. And what I also find therapeutic is I've got a, a vast uh, collection of, of cobbler's memorabilia programs and uh, all sorts of stuff. And at the end of every season, I, <laughs> it's going to make me sound very strange, but I, what I do is I, I put away all my programs for the season just gone and all my press passes and add to my library of cobbler stuff and then just copy up my my notes so they're up to date so at some point to kind of draw a line into the season i go through all the cobbler's opponents for the campaign and note down the results the cobblers have had against them and significant moments in the games in which they played against them um but to go back to your first question charles it was quite painful this season having to fill in some of the some of the details the barrow away win and the Bristol Rovers' home defeat, having to record those in, in my records, was, was quite hard to do. But it, it kind of draws a line out of the season. And then I always take a holiday during the campaign. I go During the close season, I go away with my family uh, for a couple of weeks just to relax. Uh, do some walking. I'm trying to walk around every last inch of the English uh, coast. So every summer I try and do a bit more of that. And just generally relax. I mean, I've got a job outside of commentating. I work for, for newspapers, uh, um, uh, for magazines, writing about television. So I don't just stop when the, the football season stops. I keep busy with that, with the, with the, with the writing work. Uh, but it does give me, in this case, a couple of months just to, uh, just to take it off from the football and, and just to uh, recharge the batteries. Um, but um, yeah, that's what I do. Gardening is, is great. I find it, it, it's a real contrast to football. It's very quiet where I live. And uh, I go out into the garden with my dog and my cat and we, we beaver away for a few hours uh, on a Saturday often. And that's a great escape from, uh, from the, the kind of uh, pressures of life. Yeah, I, I like the, the, with the records that you're keeping, are those just for your personal collection or do you use those when you're working uh, to refer back to etc well I, I keep a file on all the sides that the cobbers are playing um this summer i've i've had a big clear out of my study which was just overflowing with stuff and i've got a huge box away to my right here which is very heavy and very large it contains files on all the sides that the cobbers won't be probably won't be playing next season so all the sides that they've played in the past are now in non-league or in league one or, or higher uh, so i put those aside but all the sides that they are due to play next season, the Stockports, the 
the tramers and so forth, they have their own files containing all the, the team sheets from previous meetings. And especially important, of course, is, is the last meeting. So I can go refer back to that when the Coppers play that team this season, this, this new coming season. And I can see who was playing. And sometimes an hour I'll say, well, there are four survivors from the Coppers side that played Tranmere two seasons ago. And, um, and, and that uh, helps to, to build a background of information ahead of a, a commentary. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's partly for my own, um, my own pleasure, but it's also part of my work, I think, to be, to be, um, to be able to, uh, to have all this information at hand. When I first started doing the Cobblers years ago, uh, a lovely old fellow called Roly Jordan, you remember? remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's no longer with us, sadly, but he very kindly sent me all the data and statistics on the Cobblers going back years. So I've got head information on you know, the Cobblers games against Bradford Park Avenue from, from yesteryear and from Barrow from yesteryear. And that was a starting point for me then to try and uh, start my online records of fixes against all the sides that Cobblers have played over the years. Um, and um, so that's what I've done uh, and will continue to do. Um, it sounds a little bit pretentious to say, but at some point, you know, I'm going to have a, a vast archive of Cobblers stuff. Um, and I'd like to, I, I've kept it. What I'm trying to do is sell all my football programmes that aren't Cobblers related, but all the Cobblers stuff I'm going to keep and at some point, you know, maybe hand over to the club or whatever as a kind of archive of my work over the years. Um, so that's that's the plan. But at the moment, it's, it's very much a work in progress and it's useful for my, you know, for my, for my day-to-day work, for my match-by-match work. That's great. Is that, is that something you picked up from somebody else? Or was, it, was that your own started out as your own records and then went on or did somebody recommend doing that at the start of your career kind of thing no I, it was when i started doing the commentary um people used to send me information about the cobblers um and um i can't gosh i can't remember the name of the fella but there was a, a wonderful uh, cobblers fan who like Rowley is no longer with us and he sent me a lot of books on the cobblers uh, a few years ago which is also very useful um, Ian Addis, who uh, was my teacher at Highfields County Primary School many years ago, and he's written a couple of books about Northamptonshire football, which have also been very useful, charting the, uh, the history of, of the sport in the county right back to the Second World War. So that's been a useful aid as well. But no, Danny, nobody, nobody said, you know, you've got to keep records. I've just built them up over the years to the point where they're now pretty substantial. Um, and they are useful. They are useful as, as a means of, um, of putting everything into historical context. When I start commentating on a Saturday or Tuesday, I always try and reference previous meetings between the Cobblers and the side they're playing. Um, I'm sure not everybody likes that. I'm sure some people are disconcerned with the here and now, but it's a useful way of just putting the game into some sort of a co- historical context. And also it's remarkable, and I know it's a, a bit of a, a sore point and a burn of contention, this, but it's remarkable how the Cobblers seem to do really well at some stadia and really winning at certain teams. And Bristol Rovers being a good example of this, badly against other sides. Uh, you know, I'm quite grateful that Scunthorpe are no longer in the Football League for re- reasons previously stated, but also for some reason the Cobbers could never win at Scunthorpe. You know, you've got to go back yeah. to the 19, beginning of the 1980s for the last time they won in Scunthorpe. And of all the seasons when I thought they were going to do it, it would have been this last season when they were up against a really poor iron side. And they still couldn't win. They drew nil-nil there, didn't they? But um, so it is historically. It's interesting to see how the Cobbers do well against some teams and 
not so well in SR discipline. Mm. Uh, so going back to the start then, um, do you remember a moment when you're growing up watching football on the TV, listening to it on the radio, when you think, I really want to do that, I want to commentate, I want to bring football to life for people? Um, not really, not when I was a boy. What I used to do is I used to play Sabutio, um, and I used to, <laughs> I used to commentate on, on uh, the games that I was actually playing. And if I played against a friend, I'd commentate during that game and I used to play football at school but I also used to stand on the sidelines sometimes and commentate I never thought this is a means to an end this is a means of getting a, a career off the ground um, but I used to watch Grandstand avidly the old BBC sports program on a Saturday and, and take note of of those of those commentators and those reporters and those presenters but I never thought right this is this is this, this is the start of something which will lead to a to a job in the future um, and what happened back with BBC Northampton is I, I used to report on games. I was doing Capturing Town back in the mid-90s. And it just so happened that the then Cobblers reporter, Cobblers commentator, Mike Saul, went on holiday when the Cobblers got into the playoffs in 1997. And they didn't have a commentator for the game at Cardiff, so they asked me to do it. And I've done it pretty much, well, not ever since then. I've, I've taken some breaks and done other teams too, but I've done it on a fairly regular basis for the last 25 years. And it all started with that game at Cardiff. But I, I, a, I never thought as a child when I was commentating on my Sabutio games, this is what I want to do when I'm older. And B, I never thought when I did that game at Cardiff that this would be the start of a, a 25 year relationship commentating with the Cobblers. Uh, I, I just filled in and they just kept me on after that. I mean, my first three games were Cardiff home and away in the playoffs and then Swansea in the playoff final at Wembley. So what a remarkable start that was, <laughs> and then it just uh, it just um, continued from from then onwards, um, and uh, here we are, 25, 25 years on, more than twenty five years on now. And what was that like going to Cardiff that day? Like, how much notice did you have that that was going to be the case that you were going to be commentating on it? Such a big game for your first game. You, you kind of think of commentators starting off in maybe a Johnson's Paint Trophy game or something <laughs> yeah. to test them out. How, how did that feel and how were the nerves going into to that game to kind of know that your voice is going to be on one of the biggest games in the club's history, essentially? Yeah, you know what? I'd never really thought about the importance of the game in terms of it being my first commentary. You're right. Normally they'd, they'd blood you in a, in, a, in a league trophy game, wouldn't they? But um, I remember being really excited. I remember being looking forward to it because it's what I'd done you know, as a boy, um, and just enjoying it, just really enjoying it. I was there with a fellow called Mike Day, who was the news editor at BBC Northampton, and he he uh, actually did a little bit of commentary. I took a little break during that 90 minutes at Cardiff to have a sip of tea, and wouldn't you just know it, that was the time when Sean Paris scored <laughs> the winning goal. Uh, but I did the rest of the game, and I just, I just loved it. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, still today, I'll, I'll turn up at at Stadia and turn up at Sixfields and just be really looking forward to it, really enjoying it. And that's the reason I suppose I've done it for so long. I just enjoy doing it. But no, I wasn't, I don't remember being that nervous. Um, I, I suppose if I'd, I mean, I'd been covering capturing and I'd, I'd kept a kind of distant eye on the cobblers, but I hadn't been as engaged with them as, as I am now. And I'm mindful. I remember being really nervous before the playoffs this season and again before the Barrow game, because I knew the, the importance of the, the fixture. But coming to it fresh back in 1997, I didn't have those kind of nerves, just just an excitement about it. Um, and of course, they performed really well that day at Cardiff and, and 
and won both legs of the of the semi-final and went on to, to win at Wembley. Um, I do get a bit nervous sometimes, um, but I think it's a good thing. You know, if I'm just a bit kind of blasé about it and a bit indifferent, then that's not the way to be. And I suppose that's why I've done the coppers for so long. There, you know, I've had offers to work for other um, stations. I had a chance to go and cover Reading when they first got into the Premier League. And that was a, you know, that was a big attraction. That was, it was going to be more money. It was going to be um, following Reading all around the Premier League. And um, I did a couple of kind of trial runs with them for this commercial station. And there was this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This, this kind of moment of absolute clarity when I, I thought I don't really care about Reading. I really don't care about commentating on Reading. You know, this is, this is the big time. This is a chance to commentate on a Premier League side. But do I really care about the outcome of Reading's games in the Premier League? And you could argue that I might have grown to love them, but I really didn't give a monkey's about them when I was doing these 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 trial games. And I realised then that I cared about the Cobblers and are really interested to see how they get on. And that's why I'm engaged with them when, when I'm commentating. And that's probably why I've done it for so long. Um, so uh, yeah, I still enjoy it. And um, sorry, I'm digressing here, aren't I? But um, I. I was I was excited more than nervous on that first occasion when I went to Cardiff, and that's probably still the emotion that's predominant now. That's so interesting because I I mean when I was young, I would do the whole thing of recording the top forty, yeah, then recording <laughs> my own you know filling uh, in between the songs and, and and stuff like that. You were doing basically the same thing, but with commentary with your Sabutio. Um, which is brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant. And then to then come on and, and be able to go and do that as a job, following a, a local team, to go and do it like that. I mean, the one thing that I always feel, I always feel nervous, even not so much when we're recording the podcast, because there's no one there, there and then usually listening to us record. But whenever we do a live event or whenever we do anything that is uh, in front of people and they're, they're there, it's so difficult for me to not, to just ignore the fact that there's people in front of us, whether it's actually there that you can see physically or you know that there's X amount of people listening um, on the radio. So I would, I would certainly find myself getting nervous, but I, I wondered whether... You talk about these big occasions, so like the, the Barrow game, for example, and also then the Cardiff and, and the Swansea playoff matches. Do you ever, and I know maybe it's a, maybe it's the wrong thing to do, but do you ever sort of think about what you would say if it was, you know, a, a case of that there was a, a winning goal, John Frayne-esque in the last minute? Do you ever think this is the kind of thing that I'd like to say, or do you just try and forget all of that and leave it and it let, I suppose, emotion just take you and let the words just fall out? Uh, very occasionally I'll be prepping a game and I'll maybe think of a phrase or a piece of information I want to impart when I come to commentate on it. But you're right, Charles, it's normally a question of just letting it all flow. And trying to be as natural as you possibly can be. I, I think if you try and shoehorn in particular stats and particular phrases, it sounds as if you're doing that. And um, I always try and be as just as honest as I can be. I mean, people say, how can you get so excited about the cobblers? Um, you know, I, I do. I, if you listen to my commentary sometimes and the cobbler score a goal, I get really excited. And I know I do. 
that that is a natural reaction. You know, if you're commentating on a rugby match or a cricket match, um, and this is a bit of a generalisation, but there are various key moments in a rugby match. There are quite a few points scored. There are normally several tries. And in cricket, there are obviously wickets falling on a regular basis and, and runs being scored. But in football, it can it can often come down to, sometimes come down to, a single moment. And if the cobblers score, you know, it's a vital goal, then you bet your life I'm going to get excited because I'm genuinely excited and pleased to see the cobblers scoring. So that, to go back to your question, that is a natural reaction to what's happened. And once they've scored, I then try and bring in stuff about how many goals for the season that is and try and put that particular goal into the context of, of the cobblers game and the cobblers season as a whole. Uh, but no, I, I tried to prepare, I mean, I prepare for the game by trying to know the statistics and trying to learn about the opposition in the historical context of the match. But in terms of trying to get particular phrases and, and words, you know, I, I try and avoid that really. I try and let it flow as much as possible and just engage with the audience. Now, I'm aware that we're talking to an audience that aren't necessarily all Cobblers fans. You're speaking to people that have just turned on the radio and want to be entertained. So I try and get a bit of banter going with, the, with, the, with, with Jake, my the presenter of the show with Jake Sharp and also with the summarizer. And uh, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't work quite so well. If the cobbers aren't doing very well, it's quite hard to get the old banter going. You know, it'd been very hard in the last half an hour at Barrow to be to be full of life and joy and cracking jokes. You've just got to you just got to um react to the situation. But generally we just try and or I just try and engage with the audience. I mean, to, to bring it back to the cobblers, I think the cobblers have done a fantastic job in recent seasons of making themselves a community club, you know, of making going to the cobblers not just a match day experience, but it's it's also about, and not just seeing the match, it's also about, you know, feeling part of the club and the club have gone out in the community and have done a really good job, in my view, of getting universities and schools and individuals embraced by the club. And I think that's brilliant what they've done. And in the same way, when I'm on the radio, I try and, you know, I try and talk to the people and try and make them feel as if they're part of the experience. Um, you know, I, I, I use this word folks a lot. I say, here we go, folks, here we go. Another another season starts here. And I want that to include everybody that's listening as if they feel as if they're part of the experience. Because, as I say, it's not just the football fans who are listening in. It's it's other people as well who, uh, who tune into BBC Radio Northampton on a, on a Saturday or a Tuesday. That's really interesting that you you know why you use the that that term. It's not just something that just comes. You, there's a reason behind saying the word folks, so it's all inclusive. I love that. Yeah, I feel that um, it's one. Alan Alan Green's one of my great commentating heroes. We don't we don't hear him on the radio these days, but he was brilliant on Five Live. Uh, the Ulsterman Alan Green, and um, he used to use that word a lot. And I just thought it's a very warm word, and a very you know he's, he's he was very good at speaking to the audience. You can commentate and just tell the, the folks, tell the people at home what's going on. But I think if you if you occasionally step back and say, well, here we go then, folks, this is what happened. We're half an hour into the game and the cobbles are two up. Isn't it wonderful? That's a way of making sure they're, they're on board and they're not just listening to a distant voice commentating on some distant sports event. Mm. I wanted to go back to the Reading point. I found that really interesting, the, the offer from Reading and how you just didn't feel at home there at yeah. all. Um, one of the things that we found when there was that period of time during lockdown where we could only get the home commentary teams on. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you could just tell that they weren't followers of the club. They weren't invested in it. And one thing that I always say about your commentary is you know you're invested in it. 
anybody listening to that will know you're a Cobblers fan. They know that you've got that background and they'll feel it. And I think that's something that something you've said about your commentary is you're just so passionate about it and you you care when we score. Whereas some of the commentators we were listening to just didn't seem that fussed about what was going on, if they were in a promotion battle or relegation battle or anything like that. Um, is it fairly difficult sometimes to keep that professionalism and composure when something happens like we we're going either it's we're going down or it's a goal that takes us up or do you just kind of let yourself go and well I try and be professional I try and articulate what's happening and I try and be um I try and present the story as as accurately as I can but I think if you listen to the latter stages of some of my commentaries last season and in previous seasons there are moments I listen back to it and I think you know (laughs) you've become a fan you've uh, you've kind of had a dig at one of the players you know, so-and-so loses possession midway inside the opposition half and the Cobbers are desperate for a last-minute goal. And I say to for goodness sake, what, what have you done that for? Which is exactly the kind of thing that a fan on, in the stands would say. And I, I'm sure some people think I go too fast and I'm too, I'm too um, subjective in my commentaries. But it goes back to it just being the way it is. It's just the natural reaction to, to events that are taking place. And... Um, you know, people, I, I mean, I do this on a part-time basis. Um, other people maybe do it as a kind of professional full-time job and therefore maybe don't feel I have to be invested in the team they're commentating on. Uh, but I find that most people who commentate at League Two level, uh, who I meet around the country covering other sides, they, they're invested in the team they're commentating on. There are a few exceptions to that. And it must be difficult. You know, I, if you're commentating on a on a, I don't know, a league trophy match on a Tuesday night in December and it's very cold and you've had to go away to Bristol Rovers or Plymouth or somewhere and you've travelled hundreds of miles. Unless you really care about the outcome of that game, it must be quite hard to to enjoy what you're doing. And um, I, I, I mean, I, it's really important you enjoy what you do, you know, and, and give, your, give your everything to it. What's the point of doing it if you're not wholehearted? And I think sometimes, to go back to your point, Danny, I think sometimes people... Um, aren't as invested as, as they perhaps uh, need to be to get uh, fulfilment out of what they're doing. Can I just digress slightly and talk about the lockdown time and commentating during lockdown and commentating from a TV screen sometimes when we weren't allowed to go to away grounds. I found that really hard to do. I just, that was, in all the years I've done it, that was the least pleasurable part of the experience, having to sit in a studio in BBC Northampton and commentate on a Cobbers away games because we weren't allowed to go to these, these stadia. That was hard to do. You couldn't see the side of the pitch. You couldn't see the substitutions. You couldn't get a feel for the game. You couldn't, you couldn't provide the colour that you'd normally provide on the occasion. That was difficult to do. Um, and I hope that, uh, that situation never arises again. Mm, absolutely. I, mean, I, I remember sort of thinking, especially during that time where we were, one of them sticks out in my mind, Danny, I think pro- possibly for you as well. Was it Doncaster Rovers? Yeah. Um, where so Omar Bogle, was, Omar Bogle yeah. was doing the co-commentary for um, uh, whether, whoever it was. Uh, I, I think it was, was iFollow, wasn't it? I think it was yeah. Doncaster's actual, had, a, yeah. had their own team. And the poor main commentator just couldn't get anything more than one word answers out of her mouth. Yeah. It, was, it was very difficult to listen to but of course I mean one of the things that uh, living where I do in in Warrington in the northwest I'm deep in 
rugby league territory. And there's a certain video of a, of a rugby league match from, I think, the early 90s, which I think is a Wigan versus St. Helens match, where the commentator in a very, very broad Lancashire accent goes incredibly wild over, I think, a couple of punches are thrown or something. And, and yeah. there's very famous, like, and he's off and, and all of this getting very, very into it. And you still get those kind of moments in different parts of the country, I think, and in different places. And it's quite clear, as you say, that there are some people that are invested in what they're watching and what they're bringing back to their audience. And then there's others that are maybe, I'm not saying that they're not doing a good job, they're just maybe on that sort of more, I'm going to remain unbiased and I'm just going to give you what, is happening so that you can see i quite enjoy the fact that if i'm having to listen rather than be at the game then you are animated about it and you you bring across for me the same feelings that i might be experiencing if i'm sat there watching it on iFollow, for example like we had to yeah i'll i'll think to myself oh for goodness sake such and such a player (laughs) and immediately you say exactly the same thing it's you know that for me, is what makes it work and, and makes it, that gives that connection. Yeah, uh, well, uh, thank you for saying that, Charles. Um, I think it's important that you, as I said, it goes back to an earlier point we, we talked about, this idea of being yourself. I don't think you can be on the radio as much as people like me and Jake are if you're presenting a, a kind of artificial version of yourself. You've got to be, you've got to be honest about it and, and natural about, uh, about the way you're commentating. Um, I mean, occasionally you, and I won't name the station, but I remember covering a league trophy game a few seasons ago, and it was a league trophy match of no consequence. Both sides were uh, eliminated from the competition. It was a, a group game. And the radio station I was working alongside were getting really excited about the game. And I'm thinking, you can't be excited about this game. You, know, you, you simply can't be. It, it, it's not something that's um, that's possible because this is a nothing game. And um so I, I think you've got to be true to yourself, really. Uh, God, I sound really pious at times, don't I? But, uh, <laughs> but um, I think you've just got to be yourself and be honest with yourself um, and, uh, and be honest with, the, with the, the people at home. And that's the best way to be. I, I think with those kind of games, though, I, I was very tempted to interrupt you and say, do any of those games actually mean anything however i, I refrained uh, <laughs> they'll win i tell you what the cobbers can win the league trophy next season you just watch they'll get to win yeah. oh league. absolutely oh, I'd, I'd be very happy to do so i'm telling you now it wouldn't be a problem um i no i i, I often sort of feel like when as i said when when, when i'm listening to to you and, and and hearing the emotion that comes through and it's not just the excitement side of it it's also that that bit where it is, this isn't particularly great or it doesn't mean anything. So therefore, all of that comes across, I think, in the commentary. I, I wondered whether there's anything in particular that stands out for you, whether it's a, a brilliant moment in the time that you've been commentating on the Cobbers or whether it's just something that is perhaps something that you went, this wasn't particularly a great moment, but something happened that, made you I, I i don't know sort of take note of that's really connected with and i've come across and i've, I've connected with the audience i've done something there that's brilliant was it was there any kind of moments that stand out for you at all tim the more recent the memory the more likely you are to remember it i suppose i i think 
actually at the very end of this last season, uh, which had been you know pretty grim. We've talked about the Barrow Day, and then there was a Mansfield defeat. So we weren't in great spirits, but I thought it was very encouraging and really quite moving when John Brady walked down uh, alongside the West Stand to applaud the fans, and they applauded him back with real warmth. And I thought he's still very much the man that the fans want to see carry the Cobblers forward, and that's really encouraging. You know, they haven't had uh, a promotion this season. They were relegated last season, but they still have faith in this guy. And quite right, too. Uh, you know, I've followed John's career for years. He was... Um, when I was uh, covering catching, he was a player with catching, and I used to cover diamonds when he played there. Then he was manager at Bradley. Then he summarised for us. Now he's Cobbler's boss, um, and it's great to see. It's great to to work with him. I enjoy interviewing post match. He's a good guy, John, and it's good to see him um, at the helm and, and still enjoying the popularity of the fans to a large extent. So that was good to see. Um, I'm not quite sure this is quite what you meant, Charles, but. I always remember going to MK Dons for that FA Cup third round replay in 2016. And this was off the back of several months of turmoil for the Cobblers when we weren't sure that the club were going to survive. And, you know, it was it was difficult. And Chris Wilder's team had performed miracles under the circumstances. And I remember going to cover that game. And in the, in the, in the end, the result wasn't the right one. But I stepped out of the ground to interview some fans. And I was out of, out of the ground for a long time. I was speaking to a few friends of mine. And there had been a few hundred people supporting the Cobblers at the away end when I went out of the ground. By the time I came back in, it was close to kickoff, and there were 8,000 Cobblers fans in there. And I just remember thinking, my goodness me, what, what, a, what a sight. You know, what an what a, what a absolute validation of the Cobblers' support and the need for this club to continue. And I, I still get emotional about it now. It seemed it wasn't to do with the football. The football had yet to start. This is about 7.40 on a, on a weekday evening. But just seeing this huge turnout from Cobblers fans, 8,000 fans there, was such a remarkable sight. And will, will remind me forever how much support there is for the Cobblers. They don't always get four houses at Sixfields, but I know how much love and support there is around the world for Northampton. And on that occasion, uh, that occasion uh, it was very much... Uh, writ large and, and manifested itself in terms of the support of the crowd so there's a couple of moments for you um i, I mean on, on a much on a much less positive note uh the injury um that um, alex nichols suffered that i was commentating on this is about 2013 when he got uh, an injury when he was scoring a goal against port vale and suffered uh, two leg breaks in the process that was that was grim to commentate on um, and, you know, it was sad thereafter that Alex's career was never quite what it had been before the injury. Um, and, and I'm reluctant to talk about this because I'm aware that so many people couldn't be there for it. But the 2020 playoff final uh, played behind closed doors at Wembley when the Cobblers were magnificent to beat Exeter 4-0. Um, I mean, as I said earlier, talking about having to commentate from the TV, I hope we never go back to a situation where grounds are empty and we can't we can't go there but I was lucky enough to be at Wembley on that night and it was just the most extraordinary occasion partly because it was a 90,000 seater stadium empty and all of that involves and partly because the Cobblers were so good that night it was as good a performance as I've seen from the Cobblers I think at any point in the last 25 years and and it was great team performance but Charlie Good's individual performance that night was as 
as close as I've seen to uh, close as I've come to seeing a complete copyist performance from any one player. So that was a, a great occasion. Uh, but I'm sure you guys would agree. You know, if I keep on banging on about Wembley 2020, it just makes people remind reminds people that they couldn't be there when I could be there. But it was it was an extraordinary occasion and a great victory. Yeah, it's it's one of those nights. Uh, I, I would say that it's one of those nights I I try to forget, but of course not for the result. But I I, I pretty much drowned myself in gin that night on a live anyway, so I probably did forget <laughs> most of it. Um, did you go to six fields, Charles? Did you go along to six fields and celebrate? I, I didn't. We sent Neil. We sent and, Neil down. Uh, Neil went down, and um, hilariously, almost as soon as he'd parked up in the West Stand car park ran out of phone battery uh, <laughs> so here we was uh, sending the person that was closest to six fields to get there as soon as they could when we knew that there were fans surrounding the bus and off yeah. he went did the five minute journey and no sooner had he got there that literally he came back onto the stream via his phone and, and then immediately just conked and just went oh and we couldn't get him back because his phone had died which oh, was dear. Uh, a, a very very funny moment but um yeah it, it's those, those moments like you say there, there are those things that you kind of go you have to recognize them because they happened but obviously we don't have to dwell on them. um I, I would be very interested to know because obviously it's not just the commentary that you do you're also doing the you, you know the player interviews after the match you let jake take control of having to do the small talk maybe while you're going and speaking to John Brady and a couple of the players that, that get put up for you. Um, I, I wondered whether you, you spoke about John Brady before and the times I agree with you, the times that I've spoken to John, he has always been very, very open. And I would perhaps maybe even suggest that he's one of the more, well, yeah, one of the more sort of open managers that we've had. He's, he's not afraid to have a chat with you. Um, in certain situations, he may say, look, this doesn't go any further, but, you know, he's happy to talk. Yeah. Where does he compare or how does he compare to previous managers? You don't have to name people, obviously, but he's, to me, he's almost like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, he's terrific, John. Um, I have a huge respect for him. Um, and uh, as I said before, he's, he's great to talk to and he, he'll always give you an honest appraisal of what he's just seen. Um, I think I think I've been lucky um, in terms of who we've had as manager in recent years. I, I had great respect and and admiration for Keith Curl. I thought he was a good bloke, Keith, and I'm sorry that things didn't work out better in the end for him at Six Fields. Um, yeah, I enjoyed talking to Keith a lot. He was an interesting man, um, and you know most of them. Eddie Boothroyd. We heard horror stories about him before he came as being difficult to talk to, but he was he was he was fine, very professional, very forthcoming. Same with, with Chris Wilder. You know, we got a long email from another radio station before Chris came saying, oh, don't ask him this, do ask him that, and make sure he don't do that. And in the end, he was fine. And I think if you show them respect, and, you know, this is going to sound very, very, uh, very cocky to say this, but if you, if you know your stuff, and they realise you know your stuff, then they'll respect you, and they'll give you honest answers. And um, I've always thought that when I do interviews post-match, the manager doesn't really want to hear what I think about the cobblers. Don't start off the interview by saying, you weren't very good today, were you, John? You know, what went wrong? That is not the way to do it. You just, you just, and there have been occasions when I've heard interviews start that way. You just, you just try and find a way to ask difficult questions, which are going to elicit decent and, and, and uh, honest answers. Um, but yeah, John, great, Keith, great. Um, I mean, 
I can think of a couple of managers who I haven't got on so well with, and I, there's no reason I shouldn't name them. I, I wasn't Andy King, and I didn't get on that well. He was only briefly in charge um, between um, Eddie Boothwood leaving and uh, and Chrissy Wilder coming in. Um, and I think I got away to a bad start because uh, the first game I interviewed him was down at Portsmouth after a nil-nil draw at the end of what was that the end of 2013, and. Um, I, we were talking about signing new players and I, I try and make these interviews quite conversational and Gareth Wilshire was quite close by and Andy King said something along the lines of, you know, we'll, we'll try and we'll see what the rules are with bringing in loan players. And rather than ask, ask Andy what the rules were on loan players, I just turned to Gareth and said, what's the situation and can you bring in somebody in the next couple of days? And I don't think he liked that. I think Andy King felt I was kind of undermining him by asking somebody else to answer a question that he thought he could answer. And it was quite a difficult interview. And he only, he was only there for a short time, but um, I'd, <laughs> he wasn't, he, we didn't go that well. And, and back in the day, it's a long time ago now, um, Ian Atkins, um, you know, I'm sure he'd admit this himself, was a fairly acerbic character on occasions. Certainly speaking to some of the players that he was manager of back in the day, um, you know, that he was, he was, he was fairly, he could be fairly confrontational. And that uh, was sometimes reflected in the interviews he gave post-match. I was quite young in those days, more timid than, I'm at, than I am now. And uh, I sometimes didn't look forward to the chats I did with, with Atco. Get on fine with them now. He summarised for us. It's all good. But back then it wasn't so good. But with those two exceptions, it's all been good. Um, as I say, I've been lucky that we haven't had managers that have been difficult. And the ones we've had in the, the past 10, 15 years... You know, Sam o, um, Stuart Gray, right through to John Brady have been have been good. Um, but I think that's partly to do with the fact that people like me and Jake know our stuff and, and respect the manager and hopefully, with a few exceptions, maybe ask, ask some questions which are perfectly reasonable. I think it would be remiss if we didn't ask you about that conversation that you had at the end of a game at Field Mill with... Uh, a certain Mr. Dean Austin. Um, obviously, we all know what happened and what was said, but what was going through your mind at, at the time? How did you feel about it? I was thinking this is probably the last time I'm going to speak to Dean because it wasn't just the result that day. They'd got Wallop 4-0, hadn't they, by Mansfield. Mm. It was that first goal they conceded when nobody tracked back uh, to prevent uh, Mansfield scoring that first goal. And I thought, goodness me, this that, in that couple of minutes that that is Dean Austin's problem encapsulated and I don't see a way back from him uh, anytime soon um, and this was early in the game and of course they they then didn't recover and they lost 4-0 and then felt the writing was on the wall so I thought this is the, probably the last time I speak to him um, but I didn't expect him to be quite so he was he was I, I think he was he would probably be in a better of advice to have waited a, a little while before speaking to me but he wanted to get things off his chest, so he came out quickly and spoke to me. And, of course, delivered this, this damning verdict on the players that he was in charge of. And once he'd said that, you know, once he glanced towards the dressing room and, and basically dismissed the players as, as not being up to the mark, then you felt he had no future as a Cobblers manager. But he was a lovely fellow, Dean. Um, and post his departure, a couple of the Cobblers players, I think David Buchanan and John Joe Tool both made a point in interviews I did with them after games of saying that they implied he was on the right lines and that the style of football they were trying to play was actually 
the right way to do things and kind of suggesting that maybe he should have got a bit more time, even though they'd had that horrendous defeat at Mansfield and had won just one of those first 10 games of the season. But yeah, I mean, at the time, I didn't realise it was quite such a, an inverted commas good interview. I didn't realise he was being <laughs> quite so... Uh, I mean, he used... A, I think I was mainly concerned about he'd used a, a, a kind of semi-rude word, mm-hmm. uh, which I won't repeat. And I was thinking on the way back to the commentary point, do I alert the studio to the fact he'd used this word or do we include it as being part of a very emotional interview? And in the end, we played it out in, in full and this particular word was used. Um, but yeah, it was it was um, it was quite the interview. I, I've become a bit of a. I mean, I, it's it's happened a lot recently because during COVID and post COVID, all the interviews have taken place pitch side. I think next season we might see John maybe going up to the commentary box and speaking to to Jake post match. But certainly in the last couple of years, everything's been done pitch side. And even before that, I seem to be in the person that's been speaking to a manager when they've been about to lose their jobs, <laughs> even though. They've also been speaking to other people like Jake uh, and like some of his predecessors in the course of in the course of covering the cobblers. So people like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and A.D. Boothroyd and Stuart Gray going back a bit and Keith Curl and, of course, Dean Austin. And um, famously, Rob Page after that defeated Bristol Rovers and, of course, the late, great Justin Edinburgh. They all gave me their last interview as cobblers manager. And in some case, on, on some occasions, I thought, this is definitely going to be your last chat. On some occasions, I thought you're probably going to survive for longer. Um, but um, I have felt a little bit like, uh, you know, the Grim Reaper really coming in and speaking to four guys just before they got the push. Uh, but the Austin one was memorable. I remember speaking to Jimmy Ford Hasselbank in the press room at Peterborough on Easter Monday after their defeat against the Posh. And I remember thinking then, this is the end for you, Jimmy. You're almost accepting it by the things you're saying. You realise that the game's up and, and it's all over for you. I always um so two things one with the Dean Austin interview was one of the other things that he said that always has stuck in my mind that basically because of the fact that we didn't get to see the outcome of it he said about how he was going to make changes for the game against Bury on the following Tuesday night and he hinted at the fact that it would basically be you know pretty much players that we hadn't seen uh, at all uh, maybe apart from being on the bench and and I, I wondered whether you thought that maybe he was just saying that as a way of being able to sort of maybe this is this is the way that I'll save myself I'm literally hanging by a thread yeah. I'll say this to give myself a chance so that it looks like I'll go in and and make a change and maybe get that one last chance and the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is the question that I think and I think these are the words that you tend to use is you tend to go I've got to ask you this. Are you the man to lead the cobblers <laughs> yeah. forward? It's the same, pretty much paraphrasing, the same sentence that you'll you're give us the question. Is your heart pumping in that moment? Because in a way, you, you've, you've got to know these people as people as well as just the football manager for the club. Yeah. So therefore, there must be a little bit of like, you know, that bit where you say, I'm sorry, I, I've got to ask you this. I always think... I feel a bit sorry for you because no, you've no. got to do your job, but at the <laughs> yeah. same time, you've got to know them as people. No, I think I think they know what's coming. And that, that, that particular phrase is kind of code for saying, you're under pressure here. Do you think you're going to survive or do you think this is the end? And um, yeah, that's, it's, it's got to be, I mean, I'm not, once you're into the interview, I'm really enjoying it. And, um, you know, I want to know the answer to that question. I want to know how they're going to deal with that particular question. Um, so. Um, 
No, I'm not nervous about it, really. I'm just keen to know what their response is going to be. But going back to Dean Austin, yes, I think he was probably trying to buy himself some time by saying, this is who I'm going to play on Tuesday. We're going to drop all these players because they've been so poor today. But I think by turning to the dressing room and, and kind of writing off those players, what was the phrase he used? Um, I'd asked him something like along the lines of, well, can you rescue the situation? You know, is, it, is there a future here for, for the players and for you? And he kind of turned to the dressing room and said, what were this lot? Good luck with that. And I thought in that moment, you've got no chance. You won't be home Tuesday because you've just basically written off most of your most of your senior pros. Uh, but yeah, he was he was probably trying to buy some time by what he said. Uh, but of course, as we all know, time was up. Is there a, you've talked about some of your favourite games, favourite man, uh, managers, players. Is there anyone who stuck out as kind of your favourite person to interview? Is that in terms of a player? You've talked about some of the managers. Is there any players that have been particularly fun, interesting characters to interview over the years? Well, the of the current crop, Danny, Aaron McGowan's um, an interesting fella. He brings a lot of emotion to his post-match chats. He clearly cares about playing for the Cobblers. That's why the fans like him so much. Um, so he's always good to talk to. Uh, most of those who are there at the moment, who certainly were there last season, you know, very decent, uh, respectable uh, footballers who are articulate. Um, I mean, going back in time, Clark Carlisle was a fascinating person to talk to. Um, especially when you look back in hindsight at all the problems he was dealing with in his head, uh, extremely articulate, um, but clearly also a troubled man, um, but incredibly articulate. You know, there's a, there's a myth that footballers aren't very bright. Most footballers are bright. Most footballers can hold their own in conversation. It's a myth to think that uh, they're, they're dunce heads. But in the case of, in the case of Clark, he was, he's a really bright boy. and. Um, you know, he used to use the kind of language that you don't normally hear in post-match interviews. And we, he's only done one game for us. I'd love him to do more. But he summarised for us, I think, in a match at Bolton a few seasons back when the Cobbers were previously in League One. And his first sentence included the word aesthetic to describe the stadium. And I thought, here we go. This is going to be a bit different today. It's going to be a, a different kind of, of summarising. And he did a big piece. I don't know whether you saw the Sunday Times last weekend, but Clark was, was giving a big interview about his current state of mental health and his, his life in general. And it's a, it was a, he's a fascinating man. And so, yeah, post-match, he was always, he was always very good to talk to. Um, and just those who enjoy the experience. I, you know, being a footballer doesn't mean to say you're going to want to do post-match interviews. Being a footballer doesn't make you naturally articulate or willing to be in conversation with somebody post-match. And I understand that, but it's great when you come across people who really enjoy those post-match chats, as, as I think Clark Carlisle did, as certainly Bayouac and Fenway did, as others have done too. And um, there are certain people that uh, who uh, I think the club will turn to because they know post-match, they'll be a safe pair of hands and they'll be very articulate and they're often the easiest to talk to. But it just depends. You know, players vary from, from match to match. And if they've got a good story to tell, if they've got a hat trick or there's been some big moment to talk about in the game, then it doesn't really matter who the player is. They'll give you a good post-match interview because of the, the circumstances of the game. Yeah, I remember the Aaron McGowan interview. I think it was away at Rochdale. He'd been asked to play right wing, maybe, rather yeah, than he's his... Play, asked to play right midfield, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he wasn't very happy and he let us know, didn't he? It was, it was good. It was a great interview. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a shame he wasn't available for the last few weeks of the season, isn't it? Because he would have been 
well, no disrespect to those who played in that position, but you know, McGowan's been a force for good this season for the Cobbers or last season for the Cobbers, and and missing him was a was was a blow. Tim, it's it's been lovely having you on. It's been really good to get some insights and and to chat to you rather than just listen to you um, on on the wireless. Um, I, I presume that we're you know carrying on hearing you next season and beyond. Yeah, unless I get the dread call from BBC Northampton saying my services <laughs> are no longer required, I'll be I'll be back in action. Looking forward to it. Um, I think the day, you know, the day will come, or if the day comes when I'm not looking forward to it, then that's probably the time to hang up the microphone. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Danny, for, you. for being here. And uh, we'll be back again for more episodes over the summer. Uh, so stay tuned for more. And then obviously the season will kick off at the end of July. Already looking forward to it. Way! There's the cup. There's the pictures you'll see on tomorrow's back pages. The Cobblers are going through into Division 1. Bring them on because we deserve it. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.